0: All right, happy Father's Day to all the fathers here, and um, happy Father's Day to our Heavenly Father. Lord, we're here, we're your children, and we're just, um, we want to do something that would please you, that would honor you, that would bless you, especially this day. Bless, bless the, the presentation of your word, Lord, in Jesus' name. All right, so this morning, I'm here to tell you the truth. Now, if you're like me, when somebody says, oh, you want me to tell you the truth, it makes me wonder what they've been lying about previously, right? You know, it's like, oh, now you're going to start telling the truth. Well, what was all that before? But not to say that you haven't been hearing truth, but what I've been thinking about, what's been on my heart is that truth has a lot of layers to it. You know, it's not just, you know, always cut and dry. There's a lot of degrees of truth and when he sang that song this morning, that we know that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And so as I focus in on that truth, we know he's truth and he's all truth. But theres it, it's very rarely that we are able to walk in complete truth. Okay? This um, journey was telling me about a kind of a game that they came up with at, uh, during Jesus Jam last year. Kind of a mind game, I guess it was. And uh, I guess it was... Something we can all agree on. And the way the game went was everybody would get in a circle, and then whoever was going to start one person in the circle would say, something we can all agree on is, and they would say what they thought everybody would be able to agree upon. And if you agreed and you were in the circle, you were supposed to give two thumbs up. Yes, I agree. And if you disagreed with the thing, you'd give a thumbs down or two thumbs down. Okay, so it sounds like a very interesting, it sounds like it'd be real easy, you could throw stuff out, but when it comes right down to it, it's kind of hard to get even a small circle of people to be able to agree on something. If we think about it this morning, if I say, okay, something we can all agree on is, um, the sun is out. Everybody say, everybody say, I see mostly thumbs up, but you could say, well, I don't know. Can't see the sun, right? Somebody might say, "Well, I don't know if it's out or not." So then we'd have to revise that and give it another degree. All right. Something we can all agree on is that uh, the sun was out this earlier today, right? We can all agree on, you know, we can all agree on that. So there can be varying degrees of truth, where you know it's hard to get us to all agree. So even if it's difficult for us to all agree with one another. What I want to talk about today is the truth that we tell ourselves. Do we always agree even with ourselves? If I'm saying, I believe so-and-so, but do my actions line up with that? Is that that really my truth, or do I have some other truths that kind of come in there and subvert that? Um, Let's see. Oh, Journey told me that in that game... I said, well, did that help unify the group? Because, you know, we're playing this game about something we can all agree on. And she said, well, actually, no. It didn't help unify the group. And I said, because that's what I wanted it to happen. That's what I wanted to happen for the, you know, I was using it for example. I'm like, oh, gosh, I wanted it to sort of unify the group. And she said, no, actually, it did something. But it was more like it, sh- it uh, revealed, it was more like a thermometer. It revealed who was mad at who in the group. Because when, you know, Joey said, something we can all agree on is, the sky is out today. All the people that were kind of mad at Joey went, didn't matter what Joey said. Joey could have said, you know, anything in the world. And they were all going to go, nah, that's not true. And then when it got to be, you know, somebody else's. So she said, as they played, they weren't unified but it did bring some things to light, you know, it brought some differences where they could, you know. And, so, and I still think that that's a good thing because when we know where we are, we can figure out where we need to be. You know, when Joey says something we can all agree, to, the sun is out, and Sam goes, but he knows the sun is out. It's a good opportunity for Sam to go, yeah no i 'm not agreeing, but something's up it's a good idea for Sam a good time for Sam to go. I might have some issues here. There might be something I need to look at more closely if he will um, have some a little bit of introspec- introspection. It just goes to show that we can manipulate the truth depending on our emotions, our experiences, or how we 're feeling about somebody or something. So most of us would say. It's either black or white. It's the truth or it's not the truth. But in our lives, when we're living them out, we're kind of working it to our advantage. We're kind of making it say, we lie about things all the time. You know, we, we, we lie to ourselves. Like, we lie about little things. Like, um, if somebody says, you know, well, uh, how are you doing on your exercise program? Man, that's a prime place to lie. Oh, pretty good, pretty good. You haven't rec- exercised in three weeks, but, you know, it's, you know, it's pretty good. Or we're going to justify and say, well, you know, it's been rainy and blah, 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 you know. So, so, but in ourselves, we still kind of think that we're doing pretty good. We can convince ourselves that. Or how about this one? Have you been, re- have you been reading enough Bible lately? Yeah. Has anybody been reading enough Bible lately? No. So we, lo- we kind of deceive ourselves. We kind of tell ourselves little lies to help us feel good about ourselves because, after all, we're good people. So we must be reading enough Bible, and we must be exercising enough, and we must be doing all these things that we know are good things because we're good people, right? But the truth is a little bit more hard to put our finger on. I want to look at... Um, oh, I think I already skipped a, a verse that I wanted to talk about. All right, let's look at um, John 16, 12, verse 12. It says, I'm in the Message Bible. It says, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't handle them now. But when the friend comes, the spirit of truth, he will take you by the hand and guide you into all the truth there is. He won't draw attention to himself, but will make sense out of what is about to happen. And indeed, out of all that I have done and said. That was Jesus saying that. So basically... This scripture just always kind of does a number on me. Jesus is saying, I have a lot of things that I want to tell you, but you can't handle them. I don't want to be a person that can't handle things that God wants to tell me. I want to think that, you know, hey, give it to me. You know, hit me with your best shot. I can, you know, I can handle the truth. I, I love the truth. I honor the truth. I want the truth. But Jesus is telling his disciples, these are guys that, you know, they've left... Homes and families and lands and jobs to be with them, And he's like, he still says, I can't tell you everything that I, things I want to tell you. There's, I can't tell you. So that shows me that the problem's not really with him. Like he didn't have a stuttering problem where he couldn't tell. It was, it was that out of deference to them, he said, I can't tell it to you. It might, it might mess you up. You can't handle it right now. But I want to be, I want to be a Person that is is at least able to handle ever-increasing amounts of truth. I want to be growing in my ability to know the truth because the truth is going to make a change in in my life the more that I can walk in it. Um, Now I want to look at John chapter 8, starting with verse 1. Well, actually, maybe verse 2. It says, the religion scholars and the Pharisees led a woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery. They stood her in plain sight of everyone and said, teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses, in the law, gives orders to stone such persons. What do you say? All right, so there's some truth, right? The truth is that the law says we're supposed to stone her. So they came and they brought truth. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating, so they could bring charges against it. Ah, there's another layer of truth, right? They weren't all that concerned about Moses and his law, and we're just do, We're just here to do what's right, you know. We're just here because the law. No, they weren't. They had an ulterior motive. They had their own personal truth. They were trying to manipulate this this scenario. So it says Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. They kept at him, badgering. What do you say? Are we going to stone her? It was one of those, you know, catch-22 situations. If he said, yes, stone her, they'd say, oh, he's not who he said he was. You know, they'd catch it. They'd trip him up. If he says, no, let her go, oh, he doesn't even, you know, he did not even obey the law. So they were trying, you know, and they're badgering him. They're, you know, well, what do you say? What do you say? So he straightened up and he said, the sinless one among you go first throw the stone there's a truth for you whoever's without sin so he brought a higher truth a deeper truth a bi- you know a bigger truth into the situation he brought more light into the situation hearing that they walked away one after another beginning with the oldest the woman was left alone so more truth. It, as more truth comes into the situation, it'll diffuse all those ulterior motives and all those things. The, you know, we have ulterior motives. We try to trick ourselves into believing stuff. Okay, our mind can can do a number on us. Um, the woman was left alone, and Jesus stood up and spoke to her. Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? And she says, No one, Master. Neither do I. Said Jesus, Go on your way. From now on, don't sin. So I mean, he you know he addressed the sin problem. He said, "Okay, you know, don't do that." As far as the truth of Moses' law, you know, don't do that. Go you know go and don't do that. But he had that higher law as all right. Well, who's going to start the, who's going to start the rock throwing? Because there's none of us here that are perfect. Then uh, the next verse says, "Jesus once again addressed them. I'm the world's light." No one who follows me stumbles around in darkness. I provide plenty of light to live in. And the Pharisees' objective all we have is your word on this. We need more than your word to go on. Jesus replied, You're right that you only have my word, but you can depend on it being true. I know where I've come from and where I go next. You don't know where I'm from or where I'm headed. You decide according to what you can see and touch. I don't make judgments like that. But even if I did, my judgment would be true because I wouldn't make it out of the narrowness of my experience but in the large list, largeness of the one who sent me, the Father. That tells us something about truth. He's talking about he speaks truth. He is the truth. His words are truth. And they're like, well, I don't know. How can we believe you? And he says, well, I don't, I don't make my judgments. I don't tell my truth about what I, based on what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing. But even if I did, it would be true because I don't make it out of the narrowness of my experience. That says to me that sometimes we come up with our own truth based on our experiences. You know, we develop a truth, the way, the way that we see the world, the way the world treats us. It's, we kind of tint that with those colored glasses of our experiences and who we are and where we've come from. I'm going to kind of keep on there for a minute. Um, that fulfills the conditions set down in God's law that you can count on the testimony of two witnesses, and that is what you have. You have my word, and you have the word of the Father who sent me. The Scripture tells us earlier that um, let a thing be established from the mouth of two or three witnesses. So that's where he's pulling from. He's gone, you know, to a different place in the word. He's saying, you know, you've got my word and you've got the Father's word. They couldn't see the, you know, they can't see the Father. It's all very confusing, but he's establishing the truth of who he is and what he says based on these two witnesses. So they say, where's this so-called Father of yours? And Jesus said, you're looking right at me and you don't even see me. How do you expect to see the Father? If you knew me, you would at the same time know the Father. All right, so we know, like earlier in Jesus' life, at the beginning of his ministry, and he went down and he got baptized by John. Remember, and the dove flew down. Well, there's a second witness. There's things throughout his life. There were miracles. There were things that the Father was doing that was a witness. But he's saying, "You don't even recognize me. You don't. You don't recognize the Father. You're not getting any of the witnesses." But he he's just saying that there are two. He gave this speech in the treasury while teaching in the temple. No one arrested him because his time wasn't up yet. Then he went over the same ground again. I'm leaving and you're going to look for me, but you're missing God in this, and you're headed for a dead end. There's no way you can come with me. The Jews said, so is he going to kill himself? Is that what he means by you can't come with me? Jesus said, you're tied down to the mundane. I'm in touch with with what is beyond your horizons. You live in terms of what you see and touch, and I'm living on other terms. I told you you were missing God in all this. You're at a dead end. If you won't believe I am who I say I am, you're at the dead end of sins. You're missing God in your lives. And so they said to him, just who are you anyway? And he said, what I've said from the start, I have so many things to say that concern you, judgments to make that affect you. But if you don't accept the trustworthiness of the one who commanded my words and acts, none of it matters." That is who you're questioning, not me, but the one who sent me. So I wanted to read and get down to this verse as we think about truth and and all. Um, Jesus is saying, I got all this stuff that I need to tell you. And it's stuff that, you know, right here he says, it's stuff that's concerned you. It's things about your life. It's things about your, what you're doing. It's things that, you know, judgments that you, you know, it's not that judgment like I judge you because we already saw over here with this woman that he, he wasn't judging. It's judgments about your decisions. Like I have some good advice to tell you. I've got things I want to tell you, things I want to show you. And he says, but if you don't accept, if you don't really trust God, there's no point in me telling you this. You've got to trust God. You've got to know that this is going to be for your good. Because we don't take advice from somebody we don't trust. You know, we don't take advice from somebody we don't think they don't, if we don't think they know what they're talking about or that they have our best interests at heart. We're not going to, so that's what he's saying there. He says, I got lots of stuff that I want to tell you, but I just can't. You guys, you know, you're not even trusting God. Then you're not going to receive what I tell you. It would just be a waste of my time and a waste of my energy. Um. When he was talking here about the, uh, the witnesses, him and God being a witness, I thought about like in court, you know, if you're ever called to court and you have to, you know, testify, they call it testifying, um, there's an oath, and y'all know the oath. Do you swear to tell the truth? The whole truth and nothing but the truth. All right? So we have that. We're looking for witnesses, something that says this story is corroborated. I I saw what happened, and yes, they said that, and they said we're looking. And so we want to know that it's true. This is the real story. We're trying to get at the truth because in the truth, then a judgment can be made, a decision can be made, an action can be taken because now we have the facts laid out and we know the truth. Um, When it says, when I was thinking about that, it kind of... Supported that point that there are degrees in truth. Do you swear to tell the truth? Well, that should be enough, right? I told the truth. You know, they ask the question, you go, yes. That's the truth, maybe. But what about the whole truth? There could be a little bit more that could be pertinent to the situation. And what about, and nothing but the truth? What if you told the truth, and a part of the truth, and a little lie? You know, so they want the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth because that's where the right decisions can be made at the end. Um, so there are ways that we deceive ourselves by outright, outright lying, according to that whole tr- truth, whole truth, nothing but the truth, by outright lying, by omitting some details of the truth, or by mixing the truth with lies. The main area I want to talk about today is the lies we tell ourselves. We're masters of self-deception, we fool ourselves into believing things that are false and we refuse to believe things that are true. At the core, we lie to ourselves. This is, this is like really good. At the core, the reason we lie to ourselves is because we don't have enough psychological strength to admit the truth and deal with the consequences that will follow. That's pretty tough. That's why we lie to ourselves. If we... If we tell ourselves the truth, that um, we're not—if if I—if I—if I, if somebody says, "How are you doing on that exercise?" and I actually, you know, I say, "Oh, I'm pretty good." You know, it rained a little bit, and I didn't get to walk last week, or whatever the thing is, I can continue on going down the same route I'm going. But if I have to say, "Terrible," I haven't walked, I haven't done anything, and so and so, then it calls for an action. You know. There's going to be, if, I'm, if I want to be a person of truth and I admit I'm not, do, I'm not doing that thing I want to do, then I'm going to have to figure out how to change, how to do something different. And so why I lie on something like that is because I don't have the psychological strength to admit the truth and deal with the consequence. I'm not ready to make a commitment to change, to do something different. So I lie to myself. I stay where I am and I pretend that I'm doing good. After all, I'm a good person, so I have to be doing good, right? i got to pull some different pages out. But the problem is, self-deception leads to pain and regret. We can do it, but there are consequences. When we don't take responsibility for who we are, we hurt ourselves and those around us. To avoid the truth, we might even make some bad decisions, bad choices. If, if the decisions that we're lying about are big enough, we might have to try to cover those, those decisions up. We might have to cover those lies up because the Spirit of God that lives dwells within us, He's always seeking to bring out the truth, to show more truth, to give us a different degree of truth, to take it... A, a different level. And if we don't want to hear that, and we don't want to face that, we might have to numb ourselves. What are some ways that we might numb ourselves? We might use alcohol, overeat, gamble, walk away, because the situation keeps making us have to try to make, you know, this decision, so we might walk away from things we aren't supposed to walk away. But ultimately, the biggest thing that we do when we deny the truth and we won't walk in the truth is that we pass down our emotional baggage to those that we love the most. Generational. We send it on down the line. We didn't deal with it. We didn't face it. We didn't own up to it. We pass it on down the line. We cover it up and we pass it on down the line. So how do we begin to acknowledge the lies we tell ourselves? How do we become more honest? Um, These are just kind of practical things that I was thinking about. Number one is we can increase our self-awareness. How do we increase our self-awareness? When we begin to feel a strong emotional reaction to something, because this happens every day. We're in life, and something happens, and we go, you know, maybe it's anger. It could The strong emotional reaction could be anger, or it could be, you know, just... (laughs) and you break down and you're crying. It could be any any emotional reaction, but when you start to feel a strong emotional reaction to something, it's a good time to pause. Hmm. Maybe I need to think about that. Why am I having this strong emotional reaction in this situation? Does this situation warrant the reaction that I'm having? Because we all know we overreact sometimes. What caused that? We do well to ask ourselves that. When what you say doesn't match how you act, it's a good time to pause. I just said, I don't believe in, you know, why I believe that, you know, Christians need to show more kindness. And then you snap somebody's head off when that your kid's head off when you're on the phone and they come in and say, "Mommy, mommy," and you're like, "Get out! I'm doing so." You know, and then you go back to having your godly conversation on the phone with your friend about how we should be more loving and, you know. Well, that's one of those times that you might need to go, "Hmm, what I'm saying is not lining up with what I, how I'm acting. Why?" We need then after we've we've paused and we think about those things, we ask ourselves, "What is this saying about me?" Why am I acting like this? A lot of us will barrel through life. We never ask ourselves any questions. Why do I react like this? Why do I talk like this? Why do I, you know, why is everybody in this world so crazy except me? You know, if you're one of those, you know, know, we, we do that sometimes. Like, everybody's lost their mind except me. If you find yourself there, it's time to do some introspection. Think about, Why do you think everybody's crazy except, you You know, ask yourself some hard questions. Most of us spend a tremendous amount of energy trying to get over someone or something that's happened to us. Uh, I used to think, this was when I was way young in my 20s and 30s, I used to think that by the time I reached 40, I would have life figured out. I thought, you know, I'm learning all this stuff. I'm having these experiences. Some of them are helpful that, you know, I'm learning lots of things. I thought, I'm going to reach a point where there will be no more struggles because I'll know every, you know, I know it sounds ridiculous to say, it hurts me to say, I'll know everything then. You know, I'll know how to live life. But I got 40 and I knew some stuff, but I also accumulated some baggage along the way. You know, so then I, you know, because when you're born, you don't have any emotional baggage. But immediately, you're looking around, you're observing things, you're learning, you're sticking everything in your mouth, learning how it works. And, you know, somebody's going to hurt your feelings. Oh, look at that fat little baby. And there you go. From then on, you know, you've got to deal with, you know, comments. that What does she mean by that? You know, what did they mean? You know, so as we grow and we're learning things, (laughs) thank you, Zach, for that example. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so um, we're growing and we're living, but we're also having these experiences that can kind of warp us, you know. They can kind of, you know, cause some of these reactions. So, oh, um, like I said, we use a lot of energy trying to get over someone or something that happened to us. But do we do it in a productive way? Are we just trying to ignore it and stuff it away and not, not try to figure out where we're coming from? Are, are we, you know, really trying to figure out, all right, why am I, you know, why am I thinking that? You know, did did something happen when I was younger and it makes me think that now, you know, maybe like my mom was always busy and in a hurry and she didn't listen to me, so now I think nobody wants to hear anything I say, so I don't, do I not say things, you know, and, and then do I feel resentful because nobody listened to me, but is it because I'm not saying anything? Um... So we need to look at our reactions and we need to figure out what is our, my reaction to the situation saying about me. Um, some years ago, I went through kind of a, that TRT training, trauma resolution therapy, been through some situations and the way this particular therapy worked, um, you would write down something that bothered you, like a, like a situation and an event and you'd say, you know, well, I walked into the room, and you were singing in there, and I said good morning, and you threw a butcher knife at me. I mean, you know, something, you know, you write down whatever the stuff that was, you know, happened. And um, so, so then, <laughs> that was step one. That didn't really happen, but I just made them So, that was step one. You tell about it, and then you connect, you know, how that made you feel when they threw the but. you know, when they threw the but. Well, I felt scared, and I felt, you know, angry, and I felt, you know, I don't know, abused, whatever you, you know, feel. And then... Then there's, so a lot of times we'll do that. Events will happen in our life, and we'll take them out, and we'll go, all right, I'm going to look at this. I'm going to use some self-introspect, and I'm going to see, you know, how I felt. But there's actually another step that we need to look at, too, and that is how did I respond? And so when I did my TRT, and I was, you know, because, um, you know, I had all these bad things that happened to me. And I was, you know, telling about, you know, this happened, and this happened, and I felt this, and I felt unloved, and I felt unworthy, and I felt, you know, and I felt all that stuff. And it was just, oh, so bad. And then the counselor said, all right, when should I want you to write next to each thing what you did when they did what they did. And so, you know, I went back over all my pages of pages of stuff that they did. And uh, I put next to it, what did, what did I do? Well, I did nothing. I said nothing. I said nothing, I did nothing. Page after page, people were doing stuff, and I was doing nothing and saying nothing. So you know what? I was culpable in some areas. Partly it was my things that were happening were my fault because I didn't do anything. I didn't say anything. I didn't say, you know what, this isn't okay. It's not okay for, you know... For you to do this, it's not a. I didn't do anything, and I didn't say anything. And so, in that exercise, I realized that I kind of wanted to lie myself and I, lie to myself, and I wanted to say, "Hey, they're 100% wrong, and I am 100% right." But that wasn't the case. It rarely ever is the case. You know, we all have some culpability. There can be some where you don't have culpability. I, I will give you that. But in our, you know, in our day-to-day, everyday lives, we need to own what is, our, what is our response. What did we do? Or we'll become a victim. I think I have that later, so I don't want to necessarily go there. As we become more honest and aware of ourselves and the choices and who we are and what we do, we will become more responsible for our choices. And if we can admit the truth that we're insecure about something, which we all are, about some things, or worried about what someone else will think, which we all are sometimes, or afraid of being alone or not enough or too much or left out or not important, which we all are sometimes. If we can admit that we have those feelings sometimes, we then have a choice. It's like if I don't admit that that I'm not doing my exercise, then I have no choice in front of me nothing to figure out what I need to do from here on out. But if I give the truth, if I admit I feel insecure, I'm afraid of these things, I'm worried about that, then a choice presents itself. Well, what are you going to do about it then if you're feeling insecure, if you're feeling afraid, if you're feeling worried? Well, what are you going to do about it? And I can choose to do nothing about it. I can choose to stick my pull my head back in my shell and just lie some more. But it'll never be quite the same because if I've if I already talked it out, and admitted it. So when we get that choice, can, are we going to work out that insecurity or not? Are we going to work on our fears or not? But whatever we decide, we're now more responsible for the consequences of our insecurities or fears because we know better. Sometimes we don't want to bring it out because we don't want to have to... That's what I told you earlier. We don't want to have to handle the consequence. We don't have enough emotional, psychological strength to change, to make a change. Not changing when confronted with the truth is a choice. We can't control many circumstances in our, that we encounter in life, but we are responsible for our reactions to all of them. We've said that before you can't control what happens to you, but you can just control your reaction. How do you? By looking at it honestly, taking an honest inventory of what happened, why you reacted like you did, what was your, where were you culpable in that situation if, if you were, owning that, embracing that, going, you know what, I can do better. If this at, at my school... They always ask when we have, you know, some kind of incidences and, you know, things kind of get wonky, which they do quite often. They say, well, what could you have done to make it better? I get so tired of them saying, what could you have done to make it better? Because I want to say, I did everything right. Because that's, that's what we want to believe. In the moment, we get in the moment, it's a chaotic situation, and we're like, I did the best I could. You know, then we begin just, I did the best I could. I don't know what I could do any better. Well, we're just asking you. We're not saying. See, when I bristle like that, it says something about me, because they didn't say you should have done something different. They just said, "What could you have?" Just asking me to think about what I could have done better. If I bristle at that, then maybe I do think that I didn't do. You know, it, it kind of tells something. So I think it's it's probably a good exercise to say, "Hmm, could I have responded differently? Could, better? Could I have a, have had a better response? Could I have reacted differently?" In that situation, I think I finished. Okay. About 20 years ago, I found myself 20 years in a marriage with the father of my 10 children. Most of y'all know this. But something wasn't right. We had once been good friends, but now we weren't. I didn't know what had changed, but I knew something had. I spent several years trying to make sense of the situation I found myself in. Our minds are always trying to work the puzzle and fit the pieces, make sense of this. How does this make a picture? You know, I've got this piece, and how do I fit it to the other pieces that I have to make a picture? I couldn't make the pieces fit. I didn't know the truths of my situation. I knew what I wanted the outcome to be, I wanted to fit the puzzle pieces together to create my fairytale ending, what I wanted it to be. I wanted to believe that everything was well. My husband said that everything was fine. I tried to believe it. I wanted to believe it. But the evidence pointed to the truth being that my husband no longer wanted to be with me. He went out of town a lot, and when he was in town, he was just not present. We even went on a weekly date night. But he was on his phone a lot. I was missing him. I didn't want to embrace the truth that he didn't want to be with me. But I didn't want to lie to myself either. I stayed in that place where I wouldn't admit the truth, but circumstances were screaming at me for several years. I created a toxic emotional environment for myself and ultimately for those around me. I did not have enough psychological strength to admit the truth and deal with whatever consequences would, might follow. So I prayed harder. You know, God, I told myself, you know what? If God woke up one morning... God incarnate, woke up one morning and turned over to the other side of the bed and there was the devil himself laying there and he realized that he had somehow found himself married to the devil, I think God would convert him. That's what I, you know, that's what I believe. I think God could, you know, make it work. That he could, you know, I'm not even saying that my husband was the devil, but when you take it to the worst case scenario, you know, I'm like, so I thought, I should be able to fix this. I want to fix this. I'll try harder. I'll pray harder. I'll be more what I think he wants me to be. Making myself, you know, making myself um, kind of crazy. Let's see. I was tempted to compromise myself to win his favor sometimes even. Like I kind of knew, you know, what I liked and who, you know, to a certain degree because I was, you know, in my 40s at this time, so I had made some decisions for my life, and I knew, and I remember one time, I never, you know, this is not a judgment on anybody, because I don't, it doesn't matter to me what you do, but I never wanted to get a tattoo, and at that season of life, he was, it, kind of got into tattoos, and he got, you know, some and I found myself in a tattoo shop looking at tattoos, trying to decide on one that I thought I could stand and I stood there for about 30 or 45 minutes going, oh, oh I don't want to get, maybe, oh, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And wh- but when I left there, I thought, you know, there's a truth here. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to ignore some truths. I'm trying to, you know, make this work out, but it's, the price is going to be too high. And when we ignore the truth, the price is too high. It was also suggested that I, that I should start taking antidepressants. Lord knows I was depressed. You know, I told you I had gotten myself into this emotional state that was really bad, and I was depressed. And so I thought, well, you know, maybe I need to make an appointment and go get on antidepressants. And so I prayed about it. But The main saving grace, y'all, for me was, was to have God in my life. And so I prayed about getting on antidepressants. I was willing, you know, well, if that will make it better, then I'll get on antidepressants. So I prayed about that, and I felt like God said no. God. I needed some relief. My brain was just—I was crying all the time. I was just a, a total basket case. So I didn't get on—excuse oh, me. So I didn't get on antidepressants. But you know what? It would have been—it would have offered—it would have numbed me enough that I could have stayed in my situation and not have had to deal with truths, because God kept bringing the truth. You'd think, well, I'd think, well, I'll just, you know, I'm depressed and I'm tired. I'm just going to go to bed. And you'd think that that would give you some relief if you could sleep for 10 or 12 hours. But i dream. I'd get so angry in my dreams. So it's like, you know, because God wants us to know the truth. He is the God of truth. He wants us to know the truth. He wants, us to re- he wants to reveal the truth, not to hurt us or harm us, but so that we can live that full and abundant life that he created us for. So here I am depressed in, in a basket case, and, I, and I'm looking every second. Oh, is something about to change? Is it, oh, was that a little bit different? Is this a little bit different? Looking And, you know, that's just no way to live. I wasn't moving forward. I was just stalled. I was ruining my mental health and my physical health. So one day I went to my sister-in-law Jeannie's house, And she had some other people there, and we were sitting around the table, and somebody asked me how I was doing, and poor me, poor pitiful me. I wasn't doing good. And as I talked, I thought, I am making myself absolutely sick. I don't even want to be with myself. I just left there, and I thought, I can't do this, you know. I'm really spiraling downhill because I'm not willing to face a truth here. And so when I left Jeannie's house, nobody said anything to me or anything. I just, like, I didn't even like myself. So um, I made a decision. I, that, I embraced that truth that I'm, you know, I'm thinking he did not want to be with me. Now I don't even want to be with me. So there's my truth. So in desperation, I told him that I loved him, but I was leaving him to go work on myself. And I hoped he'd do the same. It broke my heart. The truth remained, and God kept trying to reveal it. It took weeks and even months to embrace the simple truth. He didn't want to be with me anymore. I thought when I left, he'd realize it'd be a wake-up call, and he'd just, you know, I went to my mom, he'd just run down there and beg me to come back. He didn't. It only confirmed that truth that I'd been trying to ignore all those years. He never spoke the truth. I never spoke the truth. And I tried to believe lies. Because why would I try to believe lies? You know, you might be thinking, that, is, that is just doesn't make any sense. Why would I try to believe lies? Because if I let this truth set in, it would be painful. Because I'd have to face all of my self-deceptive tendencies and insecurities. What if I disappointed people? What would my friends and family say? Who am I if I'm not his wife? What if my whole life changes? on the flip side of the coin, what if my whole life never changes? That would be worse, to stay in this place where I wasn't receiving and believing the truth, and what if my whole life never changed? That would be worse. I paid a huge psychological price for not embracing the truth of my marriage for several years. It threatened to destroy me. I was admitting that I was not strong enough to make different choices for myself when I was confronted with the truth. But finally I was. God kept hammering on me. Confronting our self-deception is a lifelong journey. We change and the world offers us new opportunities to understand ourselves and God. There's always more to learn about us and about God. Choose to become more honest about the lies you tell yourself. Use the truth to find and live the most fulfilling life for you. Remember Jesus' promise in John 8, 31 and 32. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Just encourage y'all to search for the truth. And embrace the truth when God's trying to show you. Even if it's hard. Even if you have to ask yourself all those hard questions. And you don't know the answer to them. And it's scary. It's still worth it. To live a life that's truth. That's in God and it's truth. There's nothing better than that.